Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun informal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think. When I was about four years old, I was over at my neighborhood best friend Michael's house and we were drawing with chalk on the driveway and the sidewalk. And mom came up and saw what we were drawing and started screaming at me and said, who taught you this? And how dare you draw this? Because we were drawing swastikas. It was the first time I had ever heard the word. And I don't know if she assumed that Michael had taught me or I had taught Michael or I had learned it from someone, but she was indignant and pulled me by my arm and dragged me home. A few years ago, I was at the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., and looking at some of the atrocities, all of which were very familiar for me, having been to Yad Vashem and other Holocaust museums and certainly grown up Sunday school learning about the Holocaust never again. And I was shocked at the number of people standing looking at these exhibits that were atrocious, but very familiar to me. And they were shocked. They had never seen it. It was literally new information to them. And I thought to myself, you are grown ass people. How could this be new information to you. It's one thing if you're a four-year-old. Now, when I was in college, I went to one of those air band, air band competitions. My friend, my roommate Brock at the time was in the French Fred Philharmonic, and there were all these different bands, and it was a very mixed race group of people in the audience. And I say that for a very specific reason, which will be apparent as I finish the story. One of the groups was the village people. And they all dressed up as the various village people. There was an Indian chief or Native American chief. There was a cop and there was whatever all the village people were. And one of the village persons persons was an African-American. And this kid was white. So he was dressed with brown brown makeup on and probably uh, Afro wig as the village to look like the village person in the village people. And everyone was laughing at all and clapping and yelling and hooping and hollering until out of my right side, I heard this boo, boo. And I looked over and there was this guy sitting up on his knees, an African-American student with his thumb down, booing them. And I thought, oh, I didn't think they were that bad, but I didn't know why. I didn't make any, any kind of, I had no idea why he was booing them. And because I only had one data point, which was one student booing, I didn't have any way of making sense. I had no pattern to make sense until I saw some of the other people cheering, looking over. One other guy looks over and he sees this guy booing and he gets up on his knees and he starts booing too. And I noticed that that person was also an African-American student. But again, it's two students. I didn't see the color of their skin as being relevant. Then another woman gets up on her knees after seeing them booing. And I knew for a fact that she had been clapping a second before, but she saw them and she started booing. And I thought maybe something happened, but this woman was also African-American. And by the time a fourth African-American student was booing, all of whom except for the first guy had been cheering moments before, I realized that it had to have something to do with race. At that moment, it took about four students, I saw race. And I was thinking about this last week because a good friend of mine from high school 
brilliant great friend, tweeted that it was ridiculous to even insinuate that in the mid-1980s, people wouldn't know that dressing up as blackface or in a character and putting brown makeup on was anything but racist. And I felt a little mortified because rest assured, I was in college in the mid-80s and that was true of me. And I still left that event not having a clue, but knowing that it had to be something to do with the color of people's skin, just because who was booing and who wasn't. So I ask you the curiosity bite. How often do you think of the color of your skin, Jennifer? When you were talking about watching the village people do their thing, I was thinking about when I was in junior high, and I want everyone to hear that that was in the 80s and you were in college in the 80s, not trying to brag or anything. Okay, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to dress up like my greatest idol, Grace Jones. Okay, we just a minute about Grace Jones. You loved Grace Jones. Oh, I love Grace Jones. I loved Grace Jones. And I wanted to be this big, strong, powerful woman. I mean... Purple eyeshadow. I would say black woman, but I didn't think about that. Just this big, strong, powerful woman. So to dress up like her, I put mohawk in my hair... I got all the clothes, the leather, the black lips. Purple eyeshadow. And the purple eyeshadow. And dark makeup that I put all over my arms, my neck, my chest, my decollete, and my face. I didn't see you. I did not see this. You were off in college. And had I seen it, I would not have thought anything but... I would look better as Grace Jones than you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, should I have known? Your friend said that at that time, everybody knew. I had no clue. I didn't think about the color of my skin versus the color of Grace Jones's skin other than I wanted my skin to look like that because I wanted to look like her. So you thought of the color of your skin in terms of the efficacy of looking like Grace Jones, exactly. having the costume win a costume contest, having everyone know exactly who you were, right? Exactly. If I tried to do it as some pasty white chick, I don't think I would have looked as cool as Grace Jones. No, you probably wouldn't have. So do you think now, looking back, how should you think about your junior high self? If that picture surfaced and someone put that on Facebook right now and someone said, you should have known, What would be, would you feel like it was more important to to explain why you didn't know or should you just shut up and apologize? Interesting, because I was talking about that earlier this week. If somebody told me that that was wrong, I probably would explain how ignorant I was back then and just shut up and apologize. I wouldn't try to justify it. Ignorance is not an excuse for doing things that are stupid, I guess. (laughs) I guess it would be. <laughs> but you should apologize for being ignorant sometimes and try to be better and what is it what do that. you mean by ignorance isn't an, an excuse should it be an excuse i think we should try to be sensitive to other people's feelings and ignorance can make it so that we fall back on that just say i don't know it wasn't around me at that time so too bad but that just means that we were ignorant and we weren't aware of other people's feelings. And so I would apologize if I offended anyone dressing up like Grace Jones. I mean, the thing is, with thinking about the color of our skin, I think that people miss nuance because I'm not, I, I'm not sure about this, actually. If I was to dress up as Mahatma Gandhi, let's say, 
and I to put darker skin color on, makeup on. I don't know if that would be offensive or not. I mean, anyone can be offended through whatever neurochemical reaction that they have. You right. know, we can't, we're not all the same in that way. What's but it's, op- it's not a nod to the minstrel shows. It's not a nod like- to the minstrel shows. The other thing that I'm not sure about is do other people, I mean, I saw that at the air guitar competition. Mm-hmm. Maybe all of the people that were not offended that or African-American should have been offended, but they didn't know either. And they saw that someone was offended and maybe then made that connection. And and they were like, oops. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of it that way. I mean, clearly, if they did, they were either pretending not to or they weren't thinking of it that way any more than I was. And they got it. Clearly, they got it. I didn't get it because I couldn't pattern make and I had no idea. And I had no idea that dressing up that way, it, didn't, it doesn't look like the minstrel shows to me with the white outline and the goofy. I mean, that doesn't look that way to me. But now that I know, I would never do right. it now. Yet, I don't know how many things I would stop doing just because someone is offended. I'm not sure. I think sometimes we're seeing people dig in their heels because you can't stop doing something that offends some group of people, because there's always someone that's going to be offended. Yeah. But I think the, the dressing in blackface is a completely different Being kind of thing. sensitive to that, yes. But I think it also has to do with intent. Does intent matter? What's more important, intent or impact? I think intent matters. But impact is important as well. I mean, my intent to dress up like Grace Jones was really about honoring her. And the impact wasn't great when I was doing it. But if somebody was offended now by looking, if I went into politics and they found that. Or they put it on Facebook and criticized you. Yeah. Found some picture from Yeah. Being my online. intent was purely respectful, actually. Want to be. I totally wanted to be Grace Jones. But the impact now could have, could be really, really powerful. I do think that ignoring impact is a curiosity killer. Yeah. But I also think that ignoring intent is a curiosity killer. And I think that if we make these complete all or none, intent doesn't matter, it's all about impact, or impact doesn't matter, it's all about intent. I think we are failing to see the nuance of these kinds of things. So I was in Israel in 1980. It was before a lot of the Russians came, the Soviet Jews came. So the vast majority of Israelis looked indistinguishable from the vast majority of at that time, most people, it wasn't really referred to as Palestinians as much as Arabs. Right. And they were Sabras, and they were really good-looking. They were all dark-skinned. And you could go into places where there were Arabs and Jews. At that time, maybe many of them were all Israeli. Who knows? But they looked very—I mean, you couldn't distinguish by color of skin alone at by any stretch. Right. And then with the influx of more and more immigrants, and particularly the doubling of the population with Russian immigrants, with the Soviet Jews being able to, to escape from— Uh, the Soviet Union, the last time I was there, which was the next time after 1980, was last year, 19 or 2018. And I did notice the color of people's skin because I noticed that it was a much whiter looking country. And it made me realize that that may be part of the interesting narrative that people see as white. Now it's seen as a white privileged country, whereas Before, when I was there in 1980, I did not think of it at all as a white country. 
Now, I know Sonny grew up in a kind of a mixed, more of a mixed race community. I mean, we grew up here in Portland, Oregon. It was very, very, very skewed toward white people. Right. Sonny grew up in a more mixed. How often does he think of? That's I asked him preparing for this podcast. You I did? actually asked Sonny. I said, how much, how often do you think about the color of your skin? Sonny, Sonny's white for those, yes. of, for, for those <laughs> listeners. Extremely And white. her husband. <laughs> and he said, more so now than ever in my life. He thinks of the color of his skin more so? Yes. In what context? In the context of white privilege. Oh, interesting. Because he grew up in outside of Tacoma, Washington, which was very, very mixed raced. He was probably a minority in his neighborhood. And not to mention that he was first generation American, so that kind of set him aside too. So he never really saw himself as your typical, stereotypical white person. And he also grew up with a single mother Poor. and not a lot of money. Yeah. And so I think growing up, he did not see himself as white privilege. And then you think about, okay, what you think of when you say white privilege. And so I was reading the article and it says, how much do we actually know about the concept and history of this sociological term, which is rapidly gaining popularity? And that is white privilege. And of course, I have my list. Oh, good. I love your list. That you should know. But let me ask you, what is the list? Does the list say anything about white privilege and race? I mean, it's not race, white privilege rather and class, because I think yes. that's one of the biggest problems is kind of how to distinguish. Well, this is the the first one I was going to actually bring up. Funny that you should mention it. Actually, the picture is this guy. You have to see the picture first, but let me just paint the picture for you. All right, paint this the guy picture. with no shirt on, <laughs> standing with his arm up on a truck. Does he have a mullet? Oh, the best mullet you've ever seen. Long haired mullet with wheat in his mouth. Is his name Randy? His name is definitely, although he doesn't have a wispy mustache. He has like a full goatee. So maybe it's not Randy, but he says, I can't find my white privilege. I was sure it was in the truck. That was the picture. But it says, (laughs) you should know that white privilege is not class privilege. And I think that's what Sonny was thinking. Oh, he was more the, of a class privilege. Well, when hear, people hear privilege, you think you get a lot of stuff. You get a, okay. If I'm privileged, I get a lot of shit. Yeah, that's what people think. But that's not what they're talking about. At, at least in this article. How do you distinguish between class privilege and white privilege? So Does the word say? privilege, like you were saying, often is associated with upper class people who went to private schools or got a car on their sweet sixteenth birthday. But they're saying that's not what white privilege is. It doesn't mean that you were born into money. It means that you were born into a racial norm. It's a, it's a different kind of privilege. So the things you can look at, you turn on the TV or open the front page of a magazine and you see that your race is widely represented. Mm-hmm. Or the one I liked the most was if you go to the store and you are picking out a Band-Aid that's flesh-colored... You don't really think about, oh, that's not my flesh color. Right. I mean, I think about that with regard to makeup, but I will tell you when I went to Sephora recently and I saw the Fenty line and there were, I don't know, 40 shades, skin color shades. I thought, wow, that is kind of amazing because most lines don't have nearly, they're all various shades of Caucasian unless you buy the special African-American makeup. So that is... Nubian queen makeup. Right. I think they're getting better about that, but yeah. 
I've seen a lot more of the wide range, but growing up, there was probably three shades. So that is a very clear distinction. That's white privilege. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're going to get a sweet 16, a car at your sweet 16 or at your quinceanera. <laughs> it means, or at your bat mitzvah, <laughs> you're going to get an iPhone or whatever. I don't know what they get now, yeah. but it means that you turn on the television and you see yourself represented. So maybe with more and more different skin tones and different races and ethnicities on commercials and in shows, white privilege is on the descent, if that's the measure. Yeah. I don't know. White privilege on the descent would mean that what? Does privilege have to be replaced by privilege? It says here that the opposite of privilege is disadvantage. So if your privilege is diminished, are you replacing that with a disadvantage? Or is there some kind of neutrality where everyone has the equal representation? Or should representation on television or in bandage shades be exactly equal to population? I don't know. What's the, op- what's the optimal? Good question. All right. What else? Well, they were saying here, and it's not the greatest you should know that, but it says when you're white, you are less likely to have been called racial slurs. Obviously, you've been the victim of you are less likely to be a victim of a racially motivated abuse. Is skin color the same as race? Is that what we wanted to talk about was was actual skin color. Right. This is, I think, more of a race because they were also talking about when you go into a costume store, Mm -hmm. if you have white privilege, you would not see your race or ethnicity as a costume, like like a Native American costume. Okay, you would not go in and see average white guy costume. Although <laughs> well, now, maybe you would now. Yeah, I think you would see average white guy costume. Like with a mullet. <laughs> or you could see like average Appalachian hick. You could see like average, totally you would see that. And I think you probably would see that more than you'd see average African American guys a costume. Now you might see a Michael Jackson costume. You might see a... Axel Rose's Guns N' Roses costume. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I think the costumes is a good measure of privilege. What's is there any other any others? The band aids, the television commercials. Yeah. yeah, I get that. Makeup, all that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Check. 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 And it doesn't. And and one of them says you should know that if you recognize that you have white privilege, it doesn't automatically translate that you are a racist. I so see. that they're encouraging you to see that there is white privilege out there. Because by saying that there is, it doesn't automatically put you in that category as a racist. All right. So if you say that there isn't, are you a racist? Well, it does say that the next one says that the greatest trick white privilege ever pulled was convincing the world that it doesn't exist. So that's not necessarily saying that you're not a racist, but it is saying that it's perpetuating some kind of negative something. Is acknowledging white privilege enough or do you have to convert a whole bunch of other people to also acknowledging privilege and now i'm at the office or let's say sunny now he acknowledges that he has white privilege and he said he's more aware of it than ever before what what does awareness mean for him i think for him it would affect him in a negative way because growing up even when i started dating him if he had a friend that had black skin he never mentioned it 
So you're, are you suggesting that his awareness of white privilege has a negative effect on him? I think so. And that's manifest how? I think in some ways it Paranoia? might make him a little self-conscious. Like, oh, I'm this enemy to a lot of people. I am this middle-aged white guy. Is self-consciousness bad? Well, it could be good and it could be bad. I think for him, it, it makes him a little less confident, which again, could that be bad or could that be good? I don't know. When he's interacting with someone, I mean, this is hypothetical. It's right. not really fair to put Sonny, but you know, yeah. like, we're using Sonny. <laughs> Let's bring him in. <laughs> Let's bring him in. He's not here. <laughs> don't tell him. We'll keep it between us. Just whisper in my ear. <laughs> but do you think that if Sonny is now at work mm-hmm. and there's people of African descent, is that going to change the way he interacts with them covertly, overtly, or not at all? I think covertly. I don't think. He would try not to not let it affect, but I think it does. I mean, otherwise he wouldn't have mentioned that he notices it now more than ever. Growing up, he didn't, and now he does. What you're suggesting is, and I agree, there probably is, although just because something has a negative effect doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, right? right? There, right. there are things that have a negative effect that you should still do. You're suggesting, and I agree, that there potentially is a negative effect to acknowledging your white privilege. I will say that there is definitely a negative effect to being told that you should and must acknowledge your white privilege. And that doesn't have anything to do with white privilege or race. That has to do with human psychology. Mm -hmm. Those convinced against their will are of the same opinion still. Love that statement. I think it was Dale Carnegie. But what if you're wrong? What if I'm wrong about what? About that who, that quote. Oh, about Dale Carnegie? Yeah, you're in big trouble. I'd be big trouble if I'm wrong. And, you know, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. I think, and also a lot of quotes were quote appropriated from someone else earlier, sure. maybe in a different language. Mm-hmm. Forcing the acknowledgement of white privilege down their throats can have the opposite effect. Although that means that I do still think that acknowledging white privilege has a net benefit, but how to acknowledge it, it's the method. The method of acknowledging your white privilege probably is more important than acknowledging your white privilege. Because if you acknowledge it to a point where it bumps up against your confirmation bias, in other words, you look for all different reasons to make, make that not true. I don't, don't have privilege here, I don't have this, I don't have that, then it actually makes you more polarized and makes you less likely to acknowledge. But aside from- Then I think it would change your intent. What do you mean? If you try to not acknowledge it, it's like finding out, bringing it back, it's like finding out later on that dressing up like Grace Jones could be offensive to other people, and then yet I don't acknowledge that I did that and that it was ignorance, then my intent changes. And let's say I did it again, and I was like, I don't care what these people think. Mm-hmm. That's intent then, mm-hmm. because I'm not going to acknowledge it. Well, you're, not, you're ignoring impact. Yes. If you use intent to ignore impact, that is a problem. Yeah. But if you ignore intent to acknowledge impact, then you might be missing something too. Mm-hmm. And I think and wish that the world was this simple, but I'm not sure that it is. And the only thing I wonder, and this is going to come to the sort of fact that I read recently in a very interesting study of very, very, (laughs) as we usually, most sort of facts are very prestigious universities throughout the world. (laughs) So I do wonder if paying no attention to differences in skin color, paying complete and total attention 
to differences in skin color or some ideal in between is ideal for what? What's the end game? Whether you are noticing more and more skin color, is it a requirement then to attach that to privilege? Maybe. Because if you're just acknowledging and noticing skin color just to notice it as an aesthetic, then that's not that meaningful. But if you acknowledge more and more privilege, and let's just say, okay, I acknowledge privilege. I acknowledge privilege in these five aspects of my life. Does acknowledgement of privilege get us to any end game that's desirable? I don't know. When I play chess, I know checkmate, but I don't see how to win. I'm not suggesting that it's not there. I'm not suggesting that acknowledging more and more skin color differences isn't a good thing. I'm not suggesting that acknowledging privilege is a bad thing. I'm just suggesting that I don't see how to win. I don't see the, the path between acknowledgement of these things and making it better. What does it look like? I don't know what that looks like. So this reminds me of the sort of fact, which again, multiple years study at very prestigious universities. Very, very prestigious. Very prestigious. Studies show that the right acknowledgement of skin color differences is 63%. (laughs) Thank you and good night. Thanks for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One, you can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there that we'll wait to read your answers to each week's Curiosity Bite. Two, in order to avoid missing curiosity-bitten conversations, subscribe to Apply Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, for all things Apply Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the Tribe of the Curious, go to applycuriositylab.com. In the meantime, elevate curiosity.